Hey everybody, this is Josh from Solopreneur Grind for episode 106 of the Solopreneur Grind podcast. I'm lucky to be joined here by Quinn, who's the founder of Talk, Top Mark. Quinn, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, thank you. I, uh, I'm excited to be here and I appreciate you having me. Awesome, Quinn. Can you tell us a little bit more about Top, Top Mark and, uh, and what it is and what you're focused on these days? Yeah, so it's um, it's essentially a, a platform where, uh, that helps you sell your car for the most money. Um, uh, a lot of people these days have probably seen commercials from Carvana and Vroom asking to buy your car, and you know not everybody knows that there's actually probably ten other sites that are also doing that, and there's a new one every day. And so we we aggregate those in a, a kayak-like fashion, so you can go to one place, put your information in, and get offers from a bunch of different dealers at once. Um, so you kind of know what's out there and you know uh, who's going to give you the most money. Um, so yeah, at a high level, that's that's pretty much what we do. And uh, yeah, we've been having fun with that. Very cool. So just to go a step further, so you, you can make kind of like one posting, almost like a, I guess it's kind of like a Facebook marketplace in the sense that you're you're making a post for a car you're looking to sell and it will auto push or auto advertise to all the different websites online as opposed to making 10 different posts. Yeah, exactly. And and the th cool thing these days is like a lot of these sites do automated offers. Um, so if hmm. you have a car, you put your information and we can get you offers, you know, hard cash offers from different websites in, you know, 5 minutes. Hmm. Um, but we take that one step further and sort of do what you're talking about where we also quote unquote, post it um, to local dealers. And then local dealers can also go and, and see, you know, if the local BMW dealer really wants your BMW, they can add uh, a manual offer and those tend to be higher. So you oh, really wow. get kind of the, the full lay of the land in terms of, you know, what your car is worth and, and what opportunities you have to sell it. Very cool. Uh, I got to ask before we go deeper, where are you right now? It looks like you're in like a super cool lodge in the middle of a nice like snowy atmosphere yeah it's it's uh it's very snowy we're in the midst of uh the second like two foot uh two feet of snow um storm this week but i'm in warm river idaho okay, uh, and, uh, yeah small lodge on the river very cool it looks like a great yeah. spot uh so quinn can we, can we go back in time Wh where did your entrepreneurial journey begin is is top mark the first business you started and if not what was it and how how did that come to be and if it was, um, what were you doing before? Yeah, okay, so um, let me just sort of try to unpack that step by step. In terms of you know the companies before, this is the first C-Corp, um, sort of my first official uh, run, at, run at running a company, but I've had sort of side businesses, ways to make money. I've helped people sell their cars kind of on a, a side gig, you know, growing up in high school and in college, hmm. um, but didn't really officially call it that. Um, I really took kind of the typical tech route. Um, you know, I got a background in uh, electrical engineering. I did undergrad, master's, and then went to a stereotypical tech company. Um, but I always wanted to do the startup thing. You know, from a young mm. age, it was always kind of in my blood. I liked kind of trying new things, testing things out. And so I, I went into the corporate world knowing that I was going to leave the corporate world. Uh, it was just when. Um, right. And so I did that for about four years and I, I was in the engineering organization and then I went into the project management org and then I even went into the enterprise sales org, which, you know, hmm. a lot of entrepreneurs that have a tech background tend to avoid that uh, because it can be not that fun. But 
you know, it gives you a lot of perspective in terms of, you know, how do you really sell a product and, and sort of get out in the trenches uh, and meet customers. And so that was a, a really important to me. Um, and once I did that, that's kind of when I jumped ship and said, all right, I'm, I'm ready to go. Right. It also sounds like great training, right? Having the experience in tech, product management and sales. I mean, it, it, it sounds like a crash course in, in, you know, how to start and run your own business, which is awesome. You mentioned helping other people buy cars in, in high school. How did, how did that come to be? Because there's an obvious link, right, to, to what you're doing now and the fact that you were doing that so long ago. Yeah, so I, I grew up, my family's pretty into cars, uh, just, you know, from, from the get-go. And so we went to a lot of car auctions. I sort of saw pricing hmm. starting at a young age. And then, you know, I feel back in the day before there were a lot of good pricing platforms, when you had to sell your car, what you did was kind of ask around, like family and friends, like, okay, who knows how to sell a car? And I was kind of that guy <laughs> that people would come to. And then I ended up just kind of facilitating um, you know, deals for them in certain places when they didn't know whether they were getting a good deal or which cars they should buy. And so it just kind of came about somewhat naturally, I'd say. Hmm. Very cool. So then, okay, so you, you, you went to school, you end up working at a tech company and you were there for four years. At what point, like, what was the trigger to leaving that company? Was there an event? Was this something you were, you know, X amount in savings? Or what was it that led up to, to quitting that job? Yeah, so I, I think it's it's great you bring up savings because that I, I think a lot of people sort of leave that out on the startup, you know, founder journey. Everybody's like, yeah, just drop out of school and go do it. Mm -hmm. But it's, that's really hard, you know, if you, if you don't have savings. Um, and so I... I tend to suggest, you know, going in the corporate world if you can a little bit to get some money. So that was a big focus, but there wasn't like a certain dollar amount I was waiting for. I had sort of hit hit a point where I was comfortable and I thought I would be able to sustain myself until I could raise money. I think really what what it was was it's if you move across an organization, especially like an enterprise size organization, going from the engineering org to the PM org is hard, but you can do it. Going from the PM org to the sales org is kind of weird, but you can do <laughs> it. Going from the sales org back is much harder. Um, it's just like a, it's, it's a totally different beast um, in terms of like the functions, the things you do, the skills you need. And so it's really hard to go backwards. And so I kind of created this path out of the company basically. Um, and All once right. I got there, I was just kind of like, okay, you know, this is the last step and, and now I'm ready to go. And like I said, the, the goal was to sort of upskill myself in terms of, you know, knowing the different verticals of the organization. And so it really didn't make sense for me to go back and try to redo engineering or redo the PM stuff. I was kind of right. You know, but as you, ready you, as I'll ever be. You didn't want to finish the circuit and maybe go to marketing or maybe go to customer success first. <laughs> Yeah, I, I probably could have. So at the end, um, it actually coincided right with um, COVID starting. And I was also, I had relocated to Sydney, Australia um, hmm. for, for the posting and enterprise sales. And so I kind of, not only in terms of like the vertical of the organization, I was physically just really far away from the organization. Right. And so it, it seemed just kind of like a natural path to, to end part ways at that point. Got it. No, it makes complete sense. Now, when you were ready to leave, 
did you have the idea in place? Like, did you did you have the name? Did you have, hey, I, I want to build this website to help sell used cars? How far along, if at all, was the business or the business plan? Yeah, so this is one one place where I would suggest not doing what I did. Um, <laughs> I, I I think, um, and it's I've watched one of my friends who who recently also left their job and started a company do it in the what I would call a smart way. You know, they they really built out the plan. They had their product idea, you know, a co-founder in place all before they left their company. And I think that's that's a great way to do it because you minimize the amount of time that you're likely not going to have a salary. For me, I was just ready. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have an idea. Uh, I, I didn't have a co-founder or anything. I just, I knew I had to do it. And I'm one of those like one track mind kind of people. I'm either in a job doing that job or I'm like doing the startup journey 100%. And so I just sort of recognize that's about myself and just pulled the trigger. Right. I mean, listen, I, I think, uh, I mean, this is why we have this show, right? So that people can learn from other people's what you could call mistakes, but I mean, really, it, it looks like things are going pretty well for you, right? So, uh, but you know, just to, to give our thoughts, maybe for people going through them in the future. But the other thing that I always think about too, Quinn, and I'm, I'm interested to hear your thoughts is like, is the fact that you didn't have anything ready, was that added pressure that then made everything else you did that much better, right? Like if you had it all planned, it probably still would have been a success, but was the fact that you had none of it planned and so your runway is a little bit more intense, maybe that added that much more motivation and, and, and energy? Yeah, I think, I think it really comes down to the kind of person you are. Um, you know, like I said, I, I am much, I operate so much better under pressure, like you said. And when the clock is ticking, that's when I really get stuff going. And I know that about myself. But mm-hmm. if you're the kind of person who, who like that clock is really going to stress you out, it's probably not the best route, <laughs> you right. know? So it, it, a hundred percent depends on the kind of person you are. And also, you know, I, I went a pretty significant amount of time without making any money. Right. So it, it also right. comes down to, to some degree, you know, your personal finances and it, my pet peeve, honestly, it, with, with some entrepreneurs and, and them giving their stories is how little people talk about that. Cause it's really hard to, to grasp, um, you know, like where are these people like sustain themselves the whole time. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it's, it's kind of a faux pas to talk about money, but I, I think you should, and, and understand that if you want to take that risk, like you've got to either have some sort of savings background, like savings to, to back you up or like quick access to raise capital. Um, and if you don't mm-hmm. have that, Unfortunately, your probably only option is to keep your job until you can like raise money and, and, and really build out your team. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And that's part of why I started the show was just wanting to ask people these types of questions um, to, to get more information. So makes complete sense. So Quinn, let, let's go back to like the day after you quit. You quit your job. You, you know you had to do this thing. We don't know what the thing is per se yet. What, what were the first few months like? like? Like, what did you do? Did you spend weeks doing research and planning? Did you, wh- what did yeah. you do? Well, okay, so um, the the fun part, I, you know, if you can call it that, was that this is all in the midst of COVID coming up, right? right. So I quit my job March 22nd. Wow. Um, and 
I took like one of the last flights out of Sydney, Australia, back to the United States before they like shut down the airports. Jeez. You know, so I was in this kind of like like fake world. It was just really weird. But then you get get back to the U.S. and everything was shut down, which obviously terrible implications and everything happened. But for me, it was like I had to just like do you know the startup thing. I had nothing else to do. There was nothing going on. I couldn't hang out with friends, and so. I just went straight into the grind in terms of like trying to upskill myself. The one thing I did, I knew I wanted to do software and I hadn't done that professionally. So I took, um, it took about two months to just do nothing but learn software. Hmm. It's been a big like ask, something I really wanted to do for a long time. I never had kind of the motivation or the focus to do it. And I, I just knew it would be required, especially as a solopreneur in a tech space. I had to be a technical founder. Right. Um, and I so had. What, like, what do you What do you mean by when you say learn software? Do you mean like you 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 learned a few language like uh, technical languages? Yeah. So uh, and and I had of course you know a head start. So I had an electrical engineering background, which you learn some software there, but you don't learn it in kind of a a professional build an actual app sense. Um, so yeah, I just I learned Python basically. I took a, a a boot camp in Python for a month and a half, and then did a few projects. Um, and then I, I started really working on the business idea um, and building out an actual platform, um, which kind of coincided with like me learning and also you know developing sort of the business aspects as well. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. No. That that that's that's super cool. Especially, I, I really can relate to what you said at the beginning, which is as someone who's also working on tech right now. It's like yes, this all sucks. Like yes, COVID has been has been terrible. But if you're at a period in your life where you want to like shut out the noise and focus on one thing, like building a business, it's like weirdly a good time for that, right? As 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 bad as that sounds. So okay, so you you start learning Python. I'm still very curious to know at at what point or what was the prep around the business plan around? Hey, this is the first you know tech company or big piece of software I want to build? How did that come to be? Yeah, yeah, I, I think, <laughs> sorry, I sort of uh, went in a different direction on that question. No, I, I think time. that was still, <laughs> I think that's still like, interesting to hear in the sense that not only like you said, like, sometimes we don't hear a lot about the finances part, but it's like, okay, like, what did you actually do, right? For those first three months, six months, whatever. So I, I think the, the, the piece you just mentioned is just as important. But anyways, I'll hand it back over. Sure. Yeah. So I think, and this is again where, you know, you could probably learn from my quote unquote mistakes. And I had a, I had a strategy where I was still, I wanted to learn to code and I wanted to do projects on that. So I was much less concerned about the viability of the business at that point, because in my mind, hmm. it was more of just like a, a project, right? Like I wanted to build a platform so I could get that experience. Um, I started in virtual car shows. Uh, I thought you know, it was an interesting time, everything going virtual. I love car shows. Um, and I still think there's a space in it. Um, it turns out there's just not enough money because they're put on by organizations that tend to be charities. Um, but like 100 million people in the United States go to car shows every year. I mean, hmm. it's actually you know, quite a big uh, part of you know, American weekend culture. And so I was building something towards that. We pivoted pretty quickly away from that uh, just because it didn't quite work. But we we actually held a few virtual car shows with had a few thousand people at each one, um, hmm. you know, a few few hundred cars. It was 
it was really cool and, and just a great learning experience across the board in terms of building the platform, trying to get some sales, um, you know, just end to end experience. And, and I think that benefited me greatly in terms of, uh, you know, once we managed to pivot into a more financially feasible business model. Right. And, and who's the we? You mentioned we at, at that point. Did you find co-founders or who, who was the so, team? So I'm still a solo founder. Uh, I did uh, had contractors that I've worked with now for a pretty good amount of time, maybe six to eight months, and they've been great. Um, so I just generically say we all the time because right. that's stupid saying me. <laughs> and And contractors have obviously become you know, a, a great source of, of talent and resources for companies um, for anything, right? I mean, the prevalence of VAs or contract developers or contract anybody. How did you go about finding yours and, and any tips for those, you know, whether solopreneur, entrepreneur, big tech company, like anybody who needs contractors, any tips? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's brutal. I'll say that. <laughs> um, so I personally, I use Upwork a lot. Um, I think their service is you know quite good. Um, when it comes down to getting high quality software engineers, that's where they tend to to be somewhat weak, in my opinion, and that they have some issues with kind of people pretending to be people they're not, um, not presenting themselves as they actually are. Uh, mm -hmm. And so for sort of higher end or like mediums, medium level software talent, I've moved to more um, focused contract services that can mm -hmm. connect me with kind of individual engineers who, who are quite talented. They're still overseas, um, but they, it tends to be much higher quality and just a much better working experience. Very cool. So let's talk a little bit about the pivot because pivoting seems to be like the one constant among most tech companies, right? I mean, we hear the the dream stories about Facebook and stuff, but I think the the reality is more, you know, most tech companies do some form of pivot at, at some point. What did you guys do when you kind of realized, hey, this is kind of cool, it's kind of working, but I don't think this is, you know, maybe going to be a venture backable or, you know, success, you know, big, big opportunity. Um, what led to the pivot? Yeah, so I think that's one of the reasons why I've stayed um, a solo founder because it gives you this ability to make that decision on a dime, right? There's, there's no infighting. There's no, if you're a, a non-technical founder and you have a technical co-founder, they may kind of be married to the tech on the first platform and they don't really want to switch or something. For me, you know, I, I basically was doing sort of email outreach over and over again, trying to talk to people who might be interested. And it kept coming back to the same thing in terms of, you know, okay, yeah, but, we can't spend that much money on it. Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't have an exact number, but I spent a week doing it and I got a sufficient number of people saying kind of the same thing to where I said, okay, I'm done. Uh, you know, we're, we're moving on to the next thing. And, and for me, it's, it's all about just moving forward. And I think that's why so many people, you know, pivoting is actually like it, not a terrible thing because it means just like getting started with something, just, mm -hmm. just start building anything um, to get things moving, get the gears going, talking to people in the industry you want to be in, and you'll slowly evolve your product, you know, if you listen to those people. Uh, it's really not that kind of, you know, life-changing or, or complicated. It's just like listen to the people who are potentially going to pay you and, and see what they say. Yeah, and I mean, the, another way of thinking about it is like, 
one thing you tried didn't work and pivoting is really just learning from that, right? I mean, if, if you, if you didn't pivot and you kept banging your head against a brick wall, despite having, you know, observed certain conclusions and going against them would, would, if anything, be, be much worse. So was that pivot directly into what you're doing now? Uh, yes and no. And one thing I, I will say on, on pivots as well is that the further down the line you get, the, the more data and backing you need to make that decision, right? Mm-hmm. We were, we had made very little revenue. We hadn't, we spent maybe three months on the platform. So we weren't very far down that line. So making a pivot decision was pretty easy. You know, if you've right. done nine months, you built a full platform and you got a few customers, that's a much more complicated decision to make to cancel those customers and move in a different direction. So I think there's, you have to be aware of kind of what scale you're at and then sort of scale that decision-making process, um, you know, based on that. Right. Um, yeah. Going back to, to your actual question. Um, um, sorry, actually, can you, can you re-say that question? Yeah. I, I, I was just wondering if, if the pivot was right into what you now do or, or was there a slightly different version? Yeah, so we actually we went into a, a peer-to-peer marketplace, um, where we did we sort of facilitated uh, individuals buying kind of high-end cars from other individuals, um, because there's not a really great way to do it. There's a bunch of forms you have to fill out. There's not a great way if you're not physically located near them, because you've got to exchange a, a large sum of money without actually getting the product and. You know, so there, there's some intricacies there that are, haven't been fully solved. We did that and, and we're relatively successful again. We, we started making money quite quickly, um, but ran into the to scaling issues. Um, anybody who spends any time in marketplaces will have heard of the chicken and egg problem, right? Mm-hmm. You've got a two-sided marketplace and it's only valuable if you have a lot of people on each side um, and the difficulty is getting those people there. Um, there just wasn't a clear way to do that. So we quickly evolved from that into this, which is, you know, one side is private party, you or I, or anybody trying to sell the car, but the other side is dealers, you know, and dealers sole job is to buy cars from people so that they can resell them. And that mm-hmm. makes getting volume there significantly easier. Um, and so that, that was really just kind of a, the next step in the strategy, I guess I would say. Awesome. And then, how did you kind of figure out that that was what was going to work? Yeah. Like, w- w- did things just kind of click quicker? Did sales come in faster? Like, what was it that made you think like, hey, I think we have product market fit here uh, and, and it's time to like scale this up or build the team out or raise money or anything like that? Yeah, so I think, well, so early on when I, in the marketplace, um, iteration two of our, our product, we were helping people a lot. Uh, our first step was to go on all of these different websites and try to get quotes for the car because we weren't going to try to help them sell their car if we thought they could just get a good offer from a local online dealer. Just we didn't want to waste anybody's time. We kept doing that and doing that and doing that. And we're like, okay, why is there nothing like a kayak like site where we can just do this once? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we started building that out as, as like an internal app, but then realized like most people just want that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so we, we just started going further and further into that. And we just, the feedback we got from sellers was, 
you know, significantly more positive than anything we had gotten, right? Like mm. versus before we kind of had to explain and people eventually were like, okay, yeah, we get that. This was, you say one sentence and they're like, yes, I get it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's, I, I want that. Uh, and so it was really just kind of this rough measure of, yeah, people want this and we should go down this route. Yeah, and I was actually, when I, when I kind of saw your bio at first and, and was before I had visited the website, was kind of thinking, oh, I'm, I definitely want to ask him kind of like how it works. Like what's the, you know, what's the unique selling prop here? And then I went on the website, on the homepage, and I was like, oh, yeah, that, that totally makes sense and it, it looks awesome. So, uh, so no. Thank it's, you. That means a lot. Man. Yeah, that's, <laughs> uh, it's, it's taken a long time to get there, but that's a, it's a really cool feeling to, to have that. So. Absolutely. And, and again, another reason for this show is like most people don't know, like, you know, they see the website and it's like, oh, this great business. What a, what a brilliant idea. And they don't realize what, what went on to, you know, behind the scenes, as we just talked about, to get there, right? The months, the years, the planning, the pivots, the stuff like that. So that's, that's super important. Um, Quinn, you, you, you referenced raising money. Did you, have you raised money for Topmark? Yeah. So we, we, we started off with just, I, I self-funded a little bit. Um, I put maybe, I don't know, $30,000. I'll try to be exact, you know, otherwise I'm just doing what I complain about other people doing. Um, and then I raised maybe 50 to 70 other outside money. And then more recently now where we got into an accelerator um, oh, nice. and they, they do uh, $100,000 investments in, in their um, companies, which will, we're actually starting in January. So pretty excited about that. Awesome. Congrats. So, yeah, so, so that's, what was the plan always to kind of keep it more bootstrappy? Like, do, do you have any intentions of fundraising in the future? Or are you just kind of like, Hey, things are going well. I think we could maybe grow this thing more naturally. Yeah. So I think that's one of the big things on me learning to code was I could keep my costs down. Mm-hmm. Um, I do use software contractors, but you know, I've done a lot of the coding and you, that would have cost me a lot of money mm-hmm. outside of that. So, so that's been really helpful. It, and on top of that, I really like, I wanted to be in control in terms of the pivots and making those decisions. And you know, the faster you raise a bunch of money, the faster those, you, you know, that, that control goes away or mm-hmm. at least you have to answer to other people, right? Um, which isn't always bad, but I just didn't want to deal with it early on. I would say now that we've really kind of hit our stride in terms of the seller platform, we're trying to grow our dealer platform and our dealer network, um, we're, we're looking to scale now. So the, the accelerator takes about you know, six months, but we'll, we'll be looking to raise a pretty decent sized seed round in the next six months and then kind of grow from there. Awesome. I'm curious to know then, what would you recommend to a non-technical co-founder who has what they think is a really good business idea? Should they find a technical co-founder? If they can, should they pay a technical contractor? What would you recommend to them? Um, Should they learn to code? (laughs) Yeah. So my first recommendation would be if they have any interest at all, try to learn to code. Um, there's so many no code, low code platforms these days that even if you know a little bit enough, enough to be dangerous, you can almost be, you know, a technical co-founder. Right. Um, and how, how long do you think, let, let's say I have, I've never written a line of code, but maybe, you know, like basic WordPress skills or like something like that. Like how long would it take someone like that to get well versed enough to be able to start doing their own stuff? Um, 
Yeah, well, so it's that's really hard to say. I mean, if they're doing it full time, would be different than part time. But right. you know, they have those twelve week boot camp coding boot camps, and I'm not suggesting that those are like a great idea. But people go in knowing pretty much nothing and come out, you know, generally knowing how to like write some software and and be right. somewhat adept at it. So I would say think about that kind of timeline. Um, but the cool thing about startups is they take forever at the beginning anyway. So, <laughs> you know, you're, you're probably not just going to like suddenly have all, all the stuff done in, in a week. You're going to be doing out like customer surveys. You're going to be sort of pl planning out the product. And in that process, if you add in learning to code a little bit, I think you can find yourself pretty dangerous pretty fast. Right. My personal opinion, and, you know, I, I hate to say this, but it's really hard if you're a non-technical co-founder and you don't have a technical co-founder. It's, mm -hmm. it's not impossible. There's no code platforms. I'm not saying you can't do it. It's just hard. You know, a lot of the investors that you're going to talk to, the first thing they're going to say is, you know, who can build the product without you having to pay them every month, mm -hmm. right? Like it, and that's just sort of a fact of life. You're just going to have to prove yourself more. Right. If you come yeah. in and you're a non-technical co-founder, but you've built a pl platform with contractors and you've got revenue, they'll stop asking you about your technical co-founder, you know? So yeah. it's, it's more about proof at that point. Um, but yeah, it's definitely easier if you have one. Yeah, no, I, so I'm a technical, non-technical co-founder myself. I, I couldn't agree more. And I got lucky in finding a really good one pretty early on. And it makes a world of a difference for, for Where, everything you just said. How'd you, how did you find uh, she or he or? It, so I, I actually grew up with him back home and uh, we always kind of stayed in touch in similar friend groups. And then uh, maybe a, a story for another time, but I had a, a falling out with the first group of co-founders of our company. And yeah. to make a long story short, uh, two of us non-technical co-founders went separate ways from the two technical co-founders. And everything worked out. It was a terrible month, but everything worked out. And then I ended up just looking for a, a contractor. And a friend of mine who I'd grown up with was uh, basically a software developer at a company. And he also had like a side gig building websites and software, you know, just as a contractor. So he actually built our first website for cash. And then we started graduating into like, oh, hey, do you want to do more work for some equity. And he said, yes. And then, you know, anyways, a year later, he was, he joined us full time as a, as a co-founder. So, um, That's awesome. yeah, I, I got really lucky. I, I would add, it's definitely good to have a technical co-founder if you're non-technical. And if you can, what I learned was it's so, imp it's really hard to find a good one. And it's the most important decision you're probably going to make in your business. So if you can, like date before you marry co-founders, like get to know them a little bit more, make sure it's a good fit before you get married, you know, get married in quotations here for those that aren't watching on YouTube. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree with that. Um, Quinn, I also wanted to ask uh, with regards to accelerators for those who are out there, maybe they have some traction or they're early or maybe they're even a little bit further down the journey, but are interested in uh, applying to or getting into accelerators. Do you have any pieces of advice, two, three tips on what worked for you or what you would recommend? Um, yeah, I think these days accelerators are, it, there's so many companies that get so far um, pre-accelerator funding 
that the people applying tend to be actually already pretty successful businesses and they're really just there as like kind of um, explosion or, or growth mechanisms. Back in the day, accelerators were, oh yeah, you don't, you just have a team, you kind of go into the workspace and try to knock something out. That's in my experience, not very true these days. Um, so don't feel bad if you don't get in, um, mm-hmm. even though you think you're far along, right? Like it's just tough. Um, in terms of actually applying, keep it, keep it simple. Like every, every response to the question uh, or the questions they ask should be you know, one or two sentences. If you can't explain your business model, how you're going to make money, um, your product in really simple terms, it just comes off as like confusing and not very convincing. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so I think honestly, in terms of applying, that's like the biggest tip I can give. Just make it as short and, short and sweet as possible. And then beyond that, if you don't get in, there's tons of them. So keep yeah. applying and don't get down. Just just do your thing and eventually people will understand. Yeah, and, and that goes as well to fundraising, right? If, if you can't answer certain questions pretty succinctly, you might have a tough time convincing people to write you a check. But yeah, th- there's so many now, man. It's, it's crazy how many accelerators and incubators and stuff like that. So I uh, definitely agree there. Uh, one, qu- sorry, one yep. thing I will say just on that because there really are so many and mm-hmm. do do your research on which ones are valuable mm-hmm. um, because a lot of the, some of them these days are now charging you various fees out of the money they give you, uh, which, you know, again, isn't a deal breaker, but you want to know exactly how that's going to work and how that's going to impact your cap table. Mm-hmm. You also want to know exactly what kind of network they have because that's mostly what they're selling these days is kind of, okay, we're going to help you build, but also connect you with investors and, and um, other successful mentors down the line. You'll validate that, right? Talk to a few people who've gone through the accelerator and get some actual feedback from somebody um, saying, yes, I got value from this. I would do it again. You know, that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. So, Absolutely. And one of the benefits of there being so many is now there's a lot of niche ones like that might be even better fits. Like, for example, we got into a legal tech accelerator in Toronto. We're a legal tech startup, whereas something like that, yeah, may not have existed, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. I don't know. Like, are there are there car tech incubators? There are auto tech there are like venture firms um, that are focused on mobility and automotive. And so right. when we raise kind of larger scale money, we'll be looking towards those uh, in terms of accelerators. No, we, we ended up, we're going to uh, ERA uh, New York. It's one of the, the sort of big New York ones. Um, awesome. But it, it's pretty generic. So, right. Cool. No, it's uh, it's, it's great to hear. And I'm sure you'll, you'll learn a lot and, and uh, hopefully they help you guys with, uh, you know, growing. And then hopefully that, that big seed round, uh, you'll have to keep me posted. Uh, awesome, yeah. Quinn. Well, this has been great. Hear, hearing the story, super interesting, especially for where I'm at. Like, this is really good advice and, uh, and things to take away. If there's some listeners right now who are maybe they're working a, f- a nine to five, they, they know there's something more for them out there. They're not happy. They, they want to start their own thing. Do you have two or p- two or three pieces of advice you'd give to them? Um, first, I would just say, like you, you can do it. You know, a, a lot of people I talk to or sort of put themselves down or, or don't give them the credit they deserve, and um, I, I just that's sad to see, right? Like, if you want to do something on your, your own, uh, come up with a strategy, 
a way to fund it, a way to manage it and just do it. Uh, don't let just kind of, oh, I don't have a lot of savings or I'm too old or, or you know, whatever it is, get in your way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think also just on that sort of same note, having a strategy makes things less stressful. If you go at it kind of blind, um, it's going to seem stressful because you, you're not going to know sort of where your footing is. But if you have a current job, you know you can support yourself, you'll start putting away an hour each evening to, to work on an idea and just let it go from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my favorite sayings is progress, not perfection. Um, just like get something on paper, just start moving and you'll be kind of amazed at how quickly that can snowball into something really cool. Um, mm-hmm. so. Yeah, no, that that's great. And, and like you said earlier, there's so many more tools now, whether it be website builders, low code tools, contractor networks that just make starting something, whatever it is that much easier. So there's never been a better time, right? So uh, anyways, Quinn, oh, this, th- this has been great. Uh, f- great story. Love the tips and, and advice. If, if people are looking to either connect with you or maybe learn more about the company, where do you recommend that they go? Yeah, well, for anybody even considering selling their car, go to uh, topmark.com, mark with a Q. Um, but yeah, just go check it out. It's free, you know, no commitment. Uh, in terms of getting in touch with me, I love connecting with other founders, um, you know, mentoring or chatting and, and feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm, I'm more active there than, than anywhere else. Awesome. And we'll link to those in the description. Last question, Quinn, how did you come up with the name for the website? Uh, yeah, good. I, I've gotten this a few times. It's funny. I, it's, I took me way longer than I wanted to, to come up with the name. It, it seems like it should be such an easy part of the process, mm-hmm. um, but it was, it was not for me. Um, so Mark, M-A-R-Q-U-E, is uh, a British version of the, a type of car, like a make huh. or a model. Um, and so Top Mark kind of just like the best brands. It's, it's not directly related to anything, um, but it's loosely car related. And I thought it sounded good. So. Yeah, no, that, that's cool. And um, it's funny you say that because f- for my tech company, same thing, struggled to find the name. And I used a like uh, we're in the immigration space and mm-hmm. I found basically like a uh, an Italian the Italian word for visa is visto and it, I don't know it just sounded good to me and, and the and the yeah. domain was available so we just picked that's, it up but anyway that's the key the domain being available <laughs> is a big one too so. exactly that's exactly funny. well cool it sounds like uh, you got a pretty cool story and and the the breaking up of co-founders is a brutal experience and it's it's kind of interesting to hear that you've gone through it so uh, yeah I'll be interested we'll have to talk offline sometime I'll, I'll get the the info on that and see how that went. Absolutely. Quinn, thanks again for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Yep. Same here. Have a good one.